hi, welcome back to the podcast, The Chief Wellbeing Officer. This is episode six now. Um, a wee bit later than we'd hoped. It's the you know, 13th of February was the last episode, which was the Scottish Highlands special. Uh, and the intention that Rory and I have is to try and get two episodes out a month, um, which is challenging. You know, both busy, we're both flying around and, and, and trying to secure our guests also. I guess also February being a, a short month. Um, but today is uh, 14th of March. Hopefully we'll get this produced and out within the next couple of days. And um, and yeah, it's a, good, it's a nice episode that we've got lined up for a year. So I'm sitting here with Rory. Uh, we're both in Barcelona, which doesn't always happen. Um, so Rory, what you what have you been up to? First of all, tonight watching Barca, playing Chelsea. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully they're going to win. Looks good so far. Um, been teaching today, teaching on our Leading High Performing Teams course specifically on the importance of enthusiasm and energy and how it's the responsibility of a leader to, to, to infect his team with, with enthusiasm and energy. And actually, last week I was in Iran um, working on the latest secret nuclear deal. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. Working, um, working for uh, teaching a PhD, PhD course, in fact, also on, on leadership and a fascinating place, fascinating culture. Um, and I probably learned more than my students just, just being there. But great to, great to absorb knowledge and insights, in fact, and different points of view from all over the world. I think that's, that's what really drives me, actually, in, in what I do. Mm. I mean, Iran is a fascinating place, right? Um, and if we think about well-being and, and all, a lot of the themes that we covered in the book, we were talking about happiness in different societies around the world and how it's not always linked to, you know, material wealth, for example. Um, you know, I guess not all of your students are Iranians. Maybe they were, I don't know, but it, but are people happy there? What's the society like there at the moment? I mean, it's hard to measure happiness. I would say yes. They're very gentle, very happy, very kind people, and very keen to show me around. Not a lot of tourism. Um so you, you feel a bit different. You go out for a run in the street, very, very safe place um, and very generous people. And um, what also helps us is no, in terms of well-being, no alcohol. Um, so you, you have a good time now and you realize, you remember you can have a good time without even the smallest beer. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And, and it contrasts with the guests that we have lined up on this episode. So we have um, another Scotsman who is very much involved in in alcohol in the drinks industry is John McCusker, who is the global head of talent management uh, at uh, Bacardi. So I met John this week. You know, we've been busy ourselves in the lab the last couple of weeks, and this month I was um, I was talking for the Financial Times, i.e., Business School Corporate Learning Alliance uh, uh, conference here in Barcelona. It was the the sixth annual HR Core Lab conference that Caneo Events um, organise each year here in the city. And I met John. He was he was speaking on the same track as as I was, and uh, I thought he'd be a good man to to talk to for for this episode. And talking about his own journey, originally from Edinburgh, now living in Amsterdam, and he's been seemingly in many places in between. Um, so he looks at talent. You know, we talk about things in agility in this interview. Um, talent in Telefonica, talent in Universitas. What are some of the main themes or or, or factors for you in that area, Rory? Well, everyone would say everyone would say talent is key. A big push at the moment is in diversity. 
not just gender diversity, but all sorts of diversity. Maybe big companies are waking up to this a little bit late, but big companies in the past used to see their size um, as a disadvantage and actually seeing the global talent as an opportunity and that ethnic, cultural, experiential diversity is absolutely key. So starting with the CEO, that, that's our big drive. And you know, we operate in 24 countries, um, but huge breadth in Central and South America, and making sure that a big part of that talent and experience is, is also here in Europe, and mixing in with the Brits and the Germans from O2 is, is the big push at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you know, even my own experience in university class the last few years, it was always interesting to see people mixing, right? You had, you know, the Germans and um, predominantly English people from Moto in the UK, um, you know, unfortunately, that Ireland operation, Czech operation, you know, not so much anymore. But when these guys mix with Latin American people, um, you know, they're generally pretty separate at the beginning of the week. And by the end of the week, they're, 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 they're well mixed in, right? Mixing in, laughing together, crying together, singing karaoke together, sharing experiences, and then beyond the course of, uh, and they can they can reach out to each other. And in fact, of course, content and learning is important on these executive education experiences. But as always, the networking and the, the relationships that are that are generated are, are are paramount and more important than anything else. Yeah, and and just kind of. Quick point on diversity, kind of, and and John mentions the the framework that I presented this week in Barcelona being the AEIOU, which is essentially the design vowels that we talk about in terms of what we can learn from design thinking for leadership. And one of those things, one of those things was um, was ambiguity, and and what we talked about during it was tolerance for ambiguity, and actually recognizing that tolerance for ambiguity is actually a personality trait. And adolescents, for example, are much more tolerant of ambiguity. And there's actually a professor in Stanford who says that, you know, once we get past the age of 50, one of the factors is that we have a reduced level of serotonin in our brains, which means that we're much more risk averse. So he talks about having an age diversity within teams so that you can still, in, you know, invite more risky solutions and, and, and issues. And, and it's just interesting when you talk about diversity, you know, sometimes we, don't, we always have maybe the more experienced people. But I think more and more, and especially if we talk about talent and millennials or whatever, and just people with a different mindset, yeah, you have to bring not necessarily adolescents into, <laughs> into the XCOM, but really thinking about mixing up the ages as well, you know. And well, one thing I noticed recently, and we've been talking a lot about, you know, talent and cross-cultural diversity. It's not just the diversity itself, even in the language. The English language is a much more specific language than, than Spanish. Spaniards are used to having a lot of ambiguity, even in a short piece of text. You might think, I don't quite understand that. And you realize the Spaniards don't quite understand it either. And it's not because it's, it's complicated. It's just they're, they're open to, to a little bit of ambiguity, which means it can mean many more things, which is, which is a plus. Mm. And that's great, and it, and it also links with a couple of things that John talked about, about his approach to being open with different cultures and learning a language. His dad was a linguist also, as he mentions in the interview, and just how important that is for progressing, first of all, through a career and, and being happy, right? Just being open to different approaches and different cultures and, and things like that, right? Um, so I think 
really happy with those comments. I think it links in very well, Rory, with this interview. So here we go. This is episode six. This is from Bathgate to Bermuda. This is an interview with John McCusker, Global Head of Talent Management at Bacardi. So enjoy. All the best. So, John, um, great to talk to you. We are here at the um, the sixth annual HR Core Lab, organised by Teneo Events. Um, and uh, so, what are some of the things that you found interesting the last the last couple of days? Well, thanks for uh, taking the time to ask me about the the journey, and it's been an interesting one for the last couple of days because I've been coming here for the last few years to these events, and I've seen an improvement both in terms of the quality of the presentations as well as the, the dialogue in the table and the questions that are being raised. So we're getting now as a, as a Teneo event uh, to a level of substance, mm. uh, which is getting to quite a good level. What I found interesting, um, several things. It was interesting just to see the cultural difference between organizations' approach to agility. And I spent most of the time in the agility stream and you know, there was one company that has 220,000 employees, and the way they approach creating agility in their organization is right for them, but would not probably work for our organization where we've only got 5,500 colleagues in the business. So for me, what was interesting was actually the cultural approach to getting agility into an organization, because if you're a, a Latin spirits company versus a German uh, tele- telephone company, your approach will be very different, even though there is some rigor and science that can be used and also you know, don't want to just smoke uh, or blow smoke. But you know, I thought you know, your presentation about bringing some rigor in the AEIOU into a design approach to agility was also quite inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I don't know what, you know, to say this, that, you know, a Scotsman working for a, a drinks company and we're both doing the interview in a bar here. I don't know if that makes you more comfortable. Well, that's, that's probably why you're going to get a lot of background noise of clatter. But you know, I am in my home environment, sitting in a bar, so that's good. Yeah, like myself. Um, so you know, there's certainly themes there on agility. I saw a couple of uh, presentations myself. Um, what are the conversations like in between the sessions? You know, you're engaging with other senior leaders within HR, um, and as you say, you know, it, it, it's different a telco compared to uh, a drinks company or, or various other sectors, but uh, have those conversations been valuable also? They have. Um, I think a couple of years ago, the conversations were quite depressing because HR was saying, how do we get a seat at the table? Mm. That's now gone. And I think now everyone's assumed, and as a function, we've we've looked ourselves in the mirror and said, let's stop trying to be victims in this. We need to actually just earn our money we are leaders, and how do we actually shape the agenda that's going to help shape agility in the organization yeah. to drive better performance? So the conversations were, were less about us as a function, but more about the business and what, what's the business perceiving as to our value add in shaping uh, agility and better performance. Absolutely. And I'm not an HR person, but I've always been focused on the value of people within the enterprise, and I think a lot of trends nowadays... Um, there certainly is great value from HR potentially going ahead into the future, right? So it's just a case, as as you say, just getting on with it and and leveraging that that natural advantage that they have in the future of work, getting the best out of people. Yeah, and we've, you know, 
we're in a unique position where we're a family company. We've got 5,500 folks working in the organization. A very relationship-driven uh, culture. And almost because of some serious series of organizational restructures in the past, we've got a very lean and small HR organization. So the best thing we can do is actually create useful tools and then get out of the way and let the organization use them and just be there to do good coaching along the way. So that's the change of HR in our organization is less of admin control policing and more of behind behind the scenes, servant supporting, uh, setting the teams up for success. Yeah, that was actually one of my questions. You know, the difference working in a family business, of course, albeit a, a massive family business, but still a family business nonetheless. Yeah. And comparing that with your some of your previous roles, I know you spent a number of years in craft, for example. So is that the main difference about you ha- just have to be more agile, relationship-driven? What, what there's, probably, there? there's probably three things that uh, I see a big difference. Um, the family one, which is, you know, when the 600 family members get together uh, that are direct descendants of Fukundo uh, Bakardi Maso, they call each other cousins mm. uh, or primos. And we've said, you know, we're actually an extended part of that family and we should treat each other like family. And as with any family, if someone has a go at the family, uh, you can have a go at your sister, your cousin or your brother. Yes. But if anyone has a go at your sister, brother, cousin, isn't from the family, yeah. you get together and you defend and that's a little bit of that spirit being in a family company versus a, a multinational um, publicly held. The other is because we, we seriously connect our people back to Don Facundo, who uh, founded it, there is that sense of owners and founders mentality of if this was our money, how would we spend it? Um, so we're trying to really focus people on that. And then we've, we've gone through buyers, uh, confiscations, uh, the whole lot. manner of crises, yeah. whole manner of crises, some just, some unjust. But we've got that sort of fearless spirit to say nothing is going to stop us. And that, that spirit within the organization, again, of it's better to say, oops, I made a mistake, rather than let's go and ask the boss for approval. Yeah. So freedom within a framework is something that, using current jargon, we, we would describe it. That's good. Yeah, that's encouraging to hear. And I guess this leads to the the, the main thrust of your of your own talk yesterday, which was uh, you know around this idea of being fit for the future. So can you tell us just a couple of the main points or, or what that means? Um, many organisations try to get fit for the future by losing organisational weight mm-hmm. and doing big restructures. And I think what happens is the the intention. Of why they're making the change is never translated well enough to the, the whole organization. And so, what happens is people lose weight, shed headcount, change process, but the mindset of why we're doing this in the first place doesn't actually get into the minds and the souls and the bodies of everyone in the organization. So, then what happens is people go back to their old behaviors, and then the whole thing just actually falls apart one way or the other. Mm. What we're seeing um, in organizations that make good transformations of what we're seeing in terms of positive results so far and what we're doing in Bacardi is that we're really trying to connect people to their own personal purpose mm. and the purpose of the organization so that when they see that alignment, why we're doing this, which is to make you know the next 10 years the best 10 years ever in Bacardi's history so far, people are feeling that emotional connection so they understand 
the need to make the right changes in terms of ways of working, process improvements, et cetera, et cetera. So it's how to get the why really into not only the head, but the heart. So then the legs follow with behavioral change. Because if you just get the head and you and you don't, and the legs, the legs won't travel too far if there's no heart behind it to push them in the right direction. Yeah. And yeah, it's interesting you're saying that. I remember I only caught a couple of presentations myself yesterday, but I do remember also uh, Kim Wiley from Google, and she talked about the three parts of change in, in her view. There's the rational, the head, the emotional, the heart, and then she called the behavioral, the feet. And it's the exact, the exact same. And I think myself and the approach that we've taken in the lab over the years, being very Scottish and being an engineer, I've always been very pragmatic and I've always, always looked at the feet and I've looked at the behavioural aspect and maybe overlooked the emotional part and, and, and purpose. Um, and that's one of the things that Rory has brought and, and is going to be in the new book, right? The importance of purpose. And I think, yeah, you know, why are we here? Why are we spending our time at a company? It's, you know, it's much more than a pay packet these days. What are you contributing um, so that is, is part of my own journey to understand the importance of that, of that purpose. So it's good to hear your own experiences there. And, and Mark Twain said, you know, the two most important dates in one's life is the day one is born and the day that you realise why. Um, and we have a specific programme where we're getting every single uh, colleague in the organisation to go through a almost purpose-finding or shaping their career session to really start that process of why 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 am i here what 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 what's my legacy what are my values and what's the impact i'm going to uh, create yeah and i remember some of the things that you mentioned yesterday about um uh, employees engaging with the local community and taking the time off to do that as long as they then bring in what they got from that back back yeah. inside right and share that experience or share that that, that impact and the fact the bacardi family for generations have done a lot to support the communities where they've been working and living and that sort of generous spirit continues and we have a a, a corporate responsibility month normally in may where we, we we create specific events but we said actually all of us have probably got very very um close connection to causes that may actually be the same as some others in the organization so why don't we just free them up free their spirit to go and do something and share that love and that interest, that generosity with colleagues who might want to say, I'll come in too, I'll come and help you too. That's excellent. Um, it links into my next question on talent. So you're the global head of talent management at Bacardi. Um, is it harder to attract the very best talent these days as they're more focused on internal development? I guess things like purpose at work are, are going to help attract the best talent, right? Any any comments on, on that? Um, so I think I've seen in the 11 years I've been with Bacardi a series of chapters in that. Uh, there was a, a time where we were spending a lot of time recruiting externally because of major transformations or additional restructures and the perception at the time that perhaps internal talent wasn't going to be good enough. Um, we've now got to the point where um, we actually believe that being ready enough is better than being ready now and how do we get people into jobs and support them through transitional coaching and on-the-job development so we've now in the last 12 months you know 80 percent of our senior leadership roles have been staffed from internal and at the all management level 67 percent have been staffed by internal development 
So which is great. At the same time, because of a lot of the things we're, we've been doing over the last two to three years in terms of culture, development, and creating the foundation, we're getting a lot more external attraction. And so when we do have to go outside, we actually don't need to use search firms anywhere where anywhere near as much as we used to. So we've reduced dependency because people are, are almost calling us rather than we having to call them. That's really interesting. So finally, John, um, on your own journey, so you're saying 11 years at Bacardi, and um, I was interested to look at your LinkedIn profile and just looking at the geographical journey. So in a way, I, I thought that's um, from Bathgate to the Bahamas, in a way, right? <laughs> you went through... Bermuda. <laughs> oh, Bermuda, sorry. Um, and, you know, um, from Edinburgh through England, right? Um, Spain, Manhattan, um, Brazil, Brazil uh, and learning several languages along the way. So it's a very um, interesting journey. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. How, agility. Yeah, I guess, right? Uh, that's Cultural agility. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was, I was, I came from a, or I come from a family where my father was a linguist, seven languages, and really, I think, created that openness of mind to other cultures. Um, and so I've been fortunate to, I picked up the languages when I was at school, lost them a bit while in my early part of my career, but then because of that personal agility of saying, I don't mind, you know, Packing five suitcases and heading to Madrid when I'm 27. That was my that was my belongings, um, and trying to just really immerse myself. And I spent you know almost 18 months no contact with any Brits because I wanted to really understand the Spanish way of living. Uh, so my my catch line is born in Scotland, made in Spain, hmm. um, and that's you know I think a little bit of the cultural adaptability that I think talent today and tomorrow need to demonstrate. Yeah, because whether you live in one country and only live in one country, because of the globalization, digitalization of the world and commerce, you will probably be doing Skypes and business meetings with people from so many different cultures from your living room. And if you don't have that sensitivity and cultural awareness and desire to understand their point of view, you know, you're just not going to be as successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's emotional intelligence with that cultural awareness tagged on, right? Um and just very finally, you know, your own, I was interested when we were first talking yesterday that you were just, you know, reflecting on your journey that you just felt that you were now in your perfect place, right, in, in, in Bacardi, in your position. Um, so in terms of well-being, you're in a good you're in a good spot. And just reflecting on well-being on a general level, I mean, is there anything there in terms of what's important? Is it about that? That, that flexibility, that openness to different cultures? Is it about surrounding yourself in the right, or being in the right environment to be well? Make sure you're stretching yourself at the same time. I, you know, I don't know, any comments or reflections on, on well-being? Yeah, well, I've got, I've certainly got a physique for the radio um, because uh, <laughs> weighing 90, 93 kilos, I'm not necessarily the perfect person to talk about being fit for the future. But at least, you know, I've spent the last couple of years focusing on mental health and getting my mind in the right place and the organization's in a great place, uh, spiritually, equally. And, and now that my challenge is now how to get down to that sort of fighting fit, 84, 85 kilos. So, um, and it is a, a lot about, I think, because I wake up in the morning feeling I'm valued, uh, I'm creating value, and I've got a team that actually is probably the best team I've ever had the luxury of. Uh, leading in my career so far, mm. uh, it just gives me a sense of satisfaction, which makes me 
the stress is now positive stress. It's now positive uh, adrenaline rather than uh, feeling under the caution, feeling uh, pressure that many people may feel in their organisation. So I'm, I'm physically and mentally in the right place, and I just need to get the body in shape. So yeah, I mean that's purpose right there. Right? Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Many thanks for your time today, John. Good to talk to you. Great. Thank you very much.